May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, my family and I had the chance to go back to Minnesota, to where I grew up, where my parents are, and spend some time there, which obviously was a, a very enjoyable vacation. And whenever we go back to Minnesota, there are always things that we have to do on every single trip. One of the things we have to do is we always have to go to my favorite restaurant, Massad's, where I can have their chicken shawarma, which is delicious. Sometimes we even go there twice. Another thing we have to do is uh, my brother has horses. So we always have to make sure that we go and visit the horses and feed them a special treat. One last thing that we always do, uh, at my parents' house on the garage, uh, on one of the walls, there are all of these lines. I have a niece, Emily, who's uh, now a teenager, and it used to be filled just with lines that mark her height. But now my girls have their own lines on that wall, and they have that chance to see how much they've grown from the last time they've been at Grandpa and Grandma's. And it's, uh, it's good for them to see how they're catching up to their cousin as well. See, whenever we go back home, it, it's always enjoyable. It brings back those memories we think about what life was like when we were young, when we had all of these dreams, when we, we were thinking about what it is that we would grow up to be like. Some of us are still wondering. But that question, uh, those dreams, thinking about what life will be like when we grow up, it, it, I think, brings us into the epistle reading. As Paul's writing to the Corinthians, I think that question is in the back of his mind as he's explaining things to the Corinthians. It's a good question to think about. What is it that we are growing up to be like? Or maybe to think about it slightly differently, what are we growing into? See, if you could fast forward in time and see yourself and see your life, what is it that you would look like? What is your life like? What would that picture be? See, I think that's important for us to think about because it helps us track our course through this life. See, if you were to run a race but you didn't know where the finish line was, wouldn't you feel disheartened at times? You, you wouldn't know whether you were making any progress or not. You wouldn't know whether you were winning or losing. Or maybe imagine a different scenario, that you are running a race and you know where the finish line is, but you didn't know that one of the rules is that in order to win, you can't be the first to finish. Would that change how you conduct yourself as you are running that race? Would you have a different plan, a different strategy? Well, as Paul is thinking about the Christian life, he, he doesn't describe a life where Christians grow up to have this perfect life, where we as Christians live this life free from all problems. Christians don't grow up to be super-Christians. 
Rather, Paul describes a very different picture. He, he talks about growing into weakness. And you have to understand that that message is as difficult and uncomfortable in our day as it was in Paul's. That, that's not an easy message to proclaim. But specifically here in his epistle, Paul is confronting some of the critics, critics of his ministry. People who are saying that, look, look at Paul's life. And the fact that Paul is not living this perfect, comfortable life, that is proof that his message and his ministry, they're defective. They're broken. They, they don't work. What Paul is saying cannot be true. It cannot be right. And yet, when confronted by these critics, Paul digs in. Paul actually says that he delights in his weaknesses. The very things that he was being criticized for. And it's within this context that Paul talks about having this thorn in his flesh that God would not take away. Now, we don't know what it is exactly that he's talking about. A lot of people have given their answers. What is this thorn in Paul's flesh? What is he talking about? Some have said that maybe it's a spiritual problem that he is facing. Others have said, well, maybe it's a physical ailment, a chronic problem that he kept dealing with. Still others have said, no, I, th I think it's a personal opponent that Paul has been facing. Who knows? It might even have been SpongeBob SquarePants. Whatever the precarious predicament that Paul was facing, we just don't know. But we do know one thing. We know that this thorn in his flesh was so bothersome to Paul that he prayed to God that God would remove it. And he did this not once, not twice, but three times. And we also know that all three times God's answer was the same, no. No, Paul, I will not take this thorn away from you. Rather, Paul, I want you to know that my grace is sufficient for you. Now, we don't know exactly what it is, what it is that, that finally clicked for Paul, but clearly something did. Because Paul prayed three times that God would remove this thorn, but he did not pray a fourth time. He stopped arguing. Instead, as he is explaining it to the Corinthians, it seems that he finally understood what God meant. But, but what is it? What, what was that great discovery that Paul had that, that suddenly changed his way of thinking and how he dealt with this thorn in his flesh? See, up until now, I think that Paul thought that if he was hindered in some way from being all that he could be or doing all that he could do, that, that him being hindered somehow was also hindering God. 
And I think what changes is that Paul finally realizes that God's power doesn't depend on Paul. In fact, Paul thinks about God's power in a completely different way as he understands that that God's power is so very different from our power. It's different from what we think. It's different from what we imagine because when God showed that ultimate sign of his power in history, far from looking like an ultimate show of strength, it, show, it appeared to everybody as what we might say is utter weakness. See, God is the one who sent Jesus, his son, into this world. Jesus takes on human flesh. He takes on our weaknesses. He takes on our frailties. He takes on our brokenness. Jesus, who is God, puts aside his invincible and immortal nature so that he can take on our nature. Jesus becomes a human so that he can take our sin upon himself. And he does this so that we might have life, so that we might be forgiven. See, it is only when the Son of God becomes a human that it is possible for God to die. And Jesus came into our world to die, to die for our sins and pay that ultimate price. And that's what we see happening when we look to Jesus dying on the cross. But as we see Jesus suffering, mocked, beaten, tortured, we see Jesus pierced by those thorns that encircled his own head. And as we think about Jesus dying there, What else can we say? But this is a sign of weakness. But here's when Paul says, But look, God's weakness is greater than our strength. For although we look at the cross and we might see that picture of weakness as Jesus is dying there, it is there that God's ultimate strength is shown. For by dying in his weakness, Jesus defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. Jesus did there in the cross in his weakness what none of us can do individually or collectively by our own strength, by our own power. See, when we talk about thorns, they only bring us pain and discomfort. But Jesus took thorns upon himself so that he might give us life. See, in human terms, if we look at the cross and we see there on the cross the ultimate sign of God's weakness, and yet Paul says when he looks at the cross, he uses the cross to proclaim God's great strength, we have this problem. 
We're looking at the same thing. We're looking at the cross. And on the one hand, we use weak as a word to describe it. But on the other hand, strong is a word that also describes it. We find out that these words, weak and strong, just don't help us. They don't help us to understand what it is that's going on here. And so God gives us a different word. He gives us another word so that we can understand the cross. And that word is grace. The cross proclaims to us God's grace, God's unmerited love and favor for us. See, we don't deserve God's love. We are, are, sin, are sinners. We are God's enemies. We are alienated from God. But God loves us enough to reach out, to reconcile us, to restore us. We don't deserve forgiveness, but God forgives us. Not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of grace. See, when you look at the cross, it proclaims God's grace. And if you want to understand God's grace, look to the cross. So as Paul is dealing with that thorn in his flesh, and God tells him that he's not going to remove it, but rather, he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The thing that finally clicks, I think, is that Paul starts to understand who it is that God is growing Paul to be. See, God is not growing Paul to be a strong person, if by strong we mean self-sufficient thinking that everything depends on you, that you are responsible for everything, that, that, that you are all that matters. But on the other hand, God is not growing Paul to be a weak person just for the sake of being weak. Rather, God is growing Paul to be a grace-sufficient person, to be that person that, that depends on God wholly, that understands that this life, that who we are and what we do, ultimately doesn't rest, doesn't depend on us and our power, but ultimately depends on God and his power. It depends on his grace. That's a message that's hard for us to understand, to accept, but that is the message of grace. That might be a message that the world rejects, but that is the message that is true to our lives. That is the message that brings us that ultimate comfort that we really need. And that's the message that transformed Paul's life. See, Paul's way of thinking about his problems completely changed when he hears that message, my grace is sufficient for you. By the end, Paul is saying, when I am weak, then I am strong. 
See, Paul finally gets it. He finally gets that it doesn't matter whether he's strong or not. And the fact that he's not strong, that he's not self-sufficient, that does not discredit him, that doesn't discredit his ministry, it doesn't discredit the message that he proclaims. On the contrary, it actually proclaims that message. For it is in his weakness that Paul finds that he falls again and again on his knees. He turns back to God, and he realizes it all depends on him. And Paul can say that he delights in his weaknesses. Now, I don't think that means that when we experience troubles, we have to say, oh yeah, life sucks right now. This is awesome. Woohoo! Because that's not true to life either. See, I think Paul is saying, look, I don't delight in myself. I don't delight in my circumstances. Rather, God has taught me to delight in him. And it's Paul's faith, and it's his trust that God is at work in his life, even when it doesn't look like it from a worldly perspective. That's what brings him comfort, because he knows that when God is at work in him, when God's power is at work in him, then God's grace is at work in him. And that's true not just for Paul. It's also true for us. Because this is God's promise, not just to Paul, but also to us. As Paul says, as God says to Paul, he also speaks to you and me. My grace is sufficient for you. And God grows us to be not necessarily strong people or weak people, but grace-sufficient people. See, there's always something about going back home, that nostalgia, the good feelings that it brings to mind. And it's good to think about all of those things. It's, it's nice to enjoy them. But I'm also a realist. I know that my home won't always be my home. I know that my parents won't always be there. But I know I know something about who I am. And although who I am is largely a reflection of who I was raised to be, ultimately, ultimately who I am, that is a child of God, I am by the grace of God. And thus, I always shall be. Because that's who God is growing me to be. It's my prayer that you also see that that is who God is growing you to be. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and risen Savior. Amen.